0: Be you turning your Bibles, we're going to look at two texts today. Jude, where the scripture reading was this morning, verses 3 and 4 in Jude, and then we're going to go to 2 Timothy chapter 2 after that. Jude, verse 3. The title of the message is Humbly Contending for the Faith. Humbly Contending for the Faith. Jude 3. Having made all haste to write unto you about the common salvation, beloved, I have need to write to you to exhort you to contend earnestly for the faith once delivered to the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness, denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I'll turn to Second Timothy chapter two. We're going to come back and look at both of these texts and look at each verse. Second Timothy chapter two and verse twenty three. But avoid foolish and unlearned questions, knowing that they gender strifes. But the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient. In meekness instructing those who oppose themselves, if perhaps God peradventure would grant them repentance into the acknowledging of the truth. And that they may recover themselves from the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. This message here is for everybody here at any level doesn't matter if you are the smartest person here or the newest person. Uh, this has to do with something that we talk about a lot, and it's something that we will continue to need to talk about and remind ourselves about, is to humbly contend for the faith. When I say this, what I say about coming into the faith, uh, it, it may match your personal experience. It probably does, but I know when... Uh, For the most part, when God's people are converted, when they come to the knowledge of the truth and they are, quote unquote, saved, they learn pretty quick that when they start talking about the Bible, the gospel, Jesus Christ, faith, spiritual things, then they come across a lot of diversity of opinions about what the Bible means about all kinds of different things. Everybody you talk to. Talk to 10 different people, you're going to get 10 different things about what this subject means, whatever you're talking about. That's probably a given. It probably goes without saying, in other words. And this, of course, leads to how that some things can become maybe controversial. And the believer early on sees that some of these conversations can be hard to deal with. And they can be difficult to deal with in two forms. As a newer believer or younger believer, the content of the subject by itself could be hard to deal with because new believers aren't fully grown. But secondly, and, and really what the message is about for you people here today, is why some of those conversations might be difficult. Are the attitudes of perhaps yourself or the ones you're talking to in dealing with the subject. So content and attitude. Now, both of these should be affected by the believer's maturity level, right? So the believer, when I say believer, just put yourself in that position. Everybody here that's listening for the most part in, in our group claims to be a believer, claims to believe the same gospel that we teach. So the believer, or you guys, you could be dealing with another believer in a conversation or an unbeliever. There are going to be some things that will be the same. But there are also some other things in the way you deal with a believer versus an unbeliever. And we'll see some of those as we go along. There's more more than you you might think. So the Word of God instructs us how to deal with both believers and unbelievers. So back in uh, Jude, verse 3, we'll look at a few things here and uh, try to tie these two texts together in how we defend the gospel, how we... We believe, we promote, we love, we defend, we spread the gospel. And then at the same time, in doing that, the methods in which we do that in reference to our care, our our attitude, how we deal with people. Verse 3 there. Having made all haste to write unto you about this common salvation, beloved, I need to write to you. And exhort you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. Now he uses a phrase here, and I just want to say this. I was talking with Brian earlier, and uh, I was getting like a, a almost a second message in my mind of stuff that I could have put in my notes. And so it's going to be a miracle to remember everything that I couldn't write it down fast enough. So, But... When I talk about this subject of how we deal with people, we're also going to have gospel stuff in it. I'm trying to put everything in this message. Uh, I want to keep it one message. So I know you're kind of rolling your eyes thinking, yeah, okay, in an hour you're going to do that. I know. That's why I said it. (laughs) But here it uses the phrase common salvation. Now, first of all, we're familiar with and we oppose the idea of common grace. When it says common salvation, it's, it's not anywhere near in in this text talking about a salvation that's just la God da doesn't matter. It's salvation is just like anything else, you know. No, salvation to us is like the biggest deal. It's the spiritual lottery, right? We know it's not the physical lottery. I, I can't compare it to that, even though I would like to, to win that. and I, I could you know, preach full-time and maybe hire some assistants, but... It's, it's way more than that, because what shall a gain a man if he profit the whole world to lose his own soul? This is the biggest deal right here. The most important thing in the world is the gospel of your salvation. So common here is talking about we all in this room that believe the gospel have won the spiritual lottery together, right? So in other words, we look at each other and, and, and as we meet, we have this thing in common that like, we agree. This is the biggest deal in the world. This is the most important thing in the world, and we have that in common. We have the same Savior. Uh, we're saved the same way. There's only one way. There's only one kind of grace. Uh, I mentioned kind of opposing common grace. There's only one kind of grace, and it is not common grace. It is sovereign grace. Sovereign grace is not some advanced grace with the cherry on top. It's the only kind of grace. That's, that's it. There's only one God. He's the sovereign God, the one that's not sovereign. Is a weasel you know we used to worship the failed weasel that can you know, he can't do anything right we end up being smarter than him we control him with our free will back then remember we have to just like baal and nebo we got to pick him up and set him down deaf dumb and blind there's only one god and he compares himself to those foolish idols and you can't stop his hand so we it's we believe in the same god there's only one kind we believe in a salvation that is not of works we have no confidence in the flesh. We don't have our own righteousness. We don't have conditions in our salvation. So we're all in agreement on these things. Uh, we have the same means of truth, the same gospel, which features in it, the same object of faith, the true Christ, as opposed to false Christs. We are in common in that we are, nobody is more saved than another person. Which means I'm no more holier than you are and you're no more holier than I am. You're no more righteous than I am and I'm no more righteous than you are. It's not levels of holiness and righteousness. It's not that if a a certain type of race or culture would come in here and we we, we would be respecter of persons and say, well, no, you're different. You're you're either not as good or you're special. You know, some would look at a, a Jewish person and say, oh, man. Look at that rich tradition, you're you're the you're still in that group of the chosen people of God. I wish I could go to the Holy Land, you know. Can you give me a deal on some tickets? You know, this Jewish thing, uh, and then the, the race issues, all that stuff is stupid. It's not biblical. We are all one in Christ Jesus. So, God is no respecter of persons. That, that's coming up in our election, election series. We're not any different in reference to a certain denomination or what facet of organization that we're a part of. Who we are would, of course, determine what organization we're in. I mean, I was raised as a certain type of Baptist. Uh, Rob was there with me. Becky experienced some of it. Where we were Baptists with a capital B, and we were like the true church that went back to, uh, I've been debriefed on where they said it went back to, I don't even care anymore. But if you shake that chain, it'll rattle all the way back, you know, and um, certain people in history that you can identify with, you know, identify with the gospel right now. And I would hope the next generation that comes out of this church would say, no, nah, I'm part of that church, Scott Parks, used the pastor. No, I believe the gospel, the only gospel there is. You would hope to expect that out of those that you would teach that would say that in the future. So. One God, one gospel, one faith, one baptism. You're familiar with the text. That's the common salvation. That's it. God's people should face early on. We are not special because of who we are. We are peculiar people in Christ, and he's made us that way. He's made us a different We'll see some as we go along. So all these things concerning this common salvation, these commonalities, should produce some form of unity. You would think, right? But we see the writings of the New Testament where Paul and Peter and and some of the others are writing the believers. And they're always reminding them of these things because these people are still walking around with a sinful nature, right? So they have to be reminded of these things. And that's what we're doing today. We're just being reminded of who we are, where we came from, and who we are in Christ and how we deal with people in that state so concerning this common salvation that all believers possess we know that there are some people that are unbelievers or non-believers that do not possess what we possess it's a no-brainer so we have to know how to deal with them and we have to again remember we used to be them not too long ago you know i can i can look back on my conversion date and because i'm growing older It doesn't seem like that long since I've been converted, just like it doesn't seem that long when I graduated high school and did different things and got my driver's license and time accelerates. But it doesn't matter. If you've been in this thing 80 years, you have to be reminded of this. As we spoke of before, when we grow and mature in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, we grow down in humility. And this is just a reminder of that. What we possess in this common salvation is God's love and election in Christ from the beginning separated, we talked about that recently in the election series, separated us from the rest. So there are only two group, groups there's elect and non elect. And we know, and we've got to go back that far, that's as far as you can go. So that should be the first indicator. You didn't do anything to affect that. And then as you go along, we've we've done it before. We've talked about it every step of the way. We've talked about it, that there's no conditions on our part, that God does everything. And it keeps repeating itself that we didn't have anything to do with it. It's a pattern of sovereign grace. Notice here these other people in the text. Second part of that verse in verse 4. It says, who were of old ordained. To this condemnation, King James states it. Uh, I copied and pasted four other verses from four other versions. Let me read them real quick here. Were of old written of beforehand unto this condemnation. Who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. Who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Who were of old set forth unto this condemnation. All those pretty much collectively say the same thing. God is sovereign. He did this. And they had no say in it. We just have to warm up to that idea that that's what God does. And not just that. Not look at that and say, tough luck for them. Yeah, Not be proud about it. But say, I could have been one of those. I could have been the main one, the worst one. I could have been a, a Billy Graham or a John Wesley or a... Or in our menace. That's that's the enemies of the cross. That's who we everybody that says anything wrong about the gospel came came out of those people's teachings. We could have been those teachers, but God rescued us and now we're involved in this common salvation of commonly rescued people together in unity, and we should see this and be humbled about it. We should see and and have a good dose of gratitude and humility that we believers were not appointed or fixed in an unchanging position and state of condemnation because we very well the mercy of god prevented it the love of mercy of god prevented it in christ so with that ever before our mind and it has to be ever before our mind it would go a long way in reference to maturity And in attitude adjustments, a daily attitude adjustment of our mind renewed, seeing Christ in the gospel, seeing who we were and seeing who we are now in Christ. And then from that, the fruit of that should cause us to have gratitude and humility to be able to deal with people in the proper way. So how really the question could a justified sinner ever have any humanistic pride? In salvation by sovereign grace. I mean, how can that be of having their own pride in the salvation that supposedly was done to them that they didn't have any part of? These things are contradictions. They are contradictions. And if that starts to take place or seemingly has taken place or you start to see fruits of that, even if it's yourself or others, then somewhere along the line, something's turned on its head. It has resulted in a, in a warped view of some type of a humanistic pride concerning salvation. So we talked about salvation. The next distinction we want to bring in is talking about believers. Concerning the spiritual blessings that flow in us from the Spirit that flow through us that we work out. In so many texts, in so many different ways it says that. We want to talk about those things in us are sometimes not common. The salvation common, but after salvation, people all over the world universally that are believers that, that we correspond with or know or within this local church body or other church bodies that we fellowship with. We see distinctions that God has made in these people's lives by his sovereign will and decree, gives them different measures of faith, diversity of gifts. And he has determined that he has even talked about in his word, the means that are used to make those levels change. Right. As far as growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ being set apart, sanctified by the word of God, having our minds renewed and all these different things, uh, language about maturity and, and all these things have to do with God's sovereign will tied to the means and, all that plays out, and there's still, we can see in people, different levels. And part of the reason for the church is to keep those levels going up with everybody and to encourage one another, and so that uh, they don't dismiss the means or not partake of the means of studying the Scripture, fellowship in the gospel, prayer, worship, all these things that we do so we can see those fruits come out, of, that God works in them, come out and to be applied in a, in a practical way. So the first part, it's obvious, the theological part, the gospel part. Obviously, Christ is the focus, right? He's the focus of the gospel. He's the priority in salvation and the theological. But when we talk about the practical, do we set Christ aside and say, well, this has to do with us? No. And, and if you don't get to this, first of all, if you don't get the first part, everything after that's dead works. But when we talk about the practical... And we work that out and we look at all these texts and we teach this and we learn this and we apply this. Christ still has to be the focus and the priority among believers in the practical as well as the theological. There's no change in focus. You know, that's sometimes the difference between false religion and the true gospel, a proper gospel ministry. And a church should have uh, Ichabod written on top of it. Is they they do this practical thing. More than likely, they don't have the first thing, right, the theological, but they do the practical thing. And um, Christ is on the outside of the door looking in because it's all flesh, flesh driven. So we, we think of this in the context of the justified elect or believers, their spiritual gifts. And the natural man does not have these because he does not receive the things of the Spirit. So I want to read a, a verse. You don't have to turn there. there. There's a few of those. I'm going to, like one-liners, one-sentences. I'm going to just read, and you're familiar with them. 1 Corinthians 4, 7. For who makes you to differ from another? And what do you have that you have not received? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you hadn't received it? So when you're receiving something, it's coming from the outside source. It's not coming from inside of you. You're receiving it. And we always do that by grace. These are gifts. These are spiritual blessings that God works in us. So in any of these things in a practical way, and of course we know salvation, that's a no-brainer, but in a practical way, as we move and breathe and have our being in the church, as we deal with one another, as we engage in worship, evangelism, edification apologetics as we do these functions of the church we preach not ourselves we keep ourselves out of it because we we know we will get in the way the scripture proves it out that we will get in the way we must decrease and he must increase not just with christ but with our brothers and sisters in christ this is clear so god makes us to differ from the reprobate in salvation, the common salvation. And in the church, God makes us to differ one from another. And there's talk about the body in the different parts of the scripture. And we know that there are different many functional body parts that have certain functions. And they're there for a reason. And I uh, probably heard preachers maybe talk about what good would a body do if it was like, you know, eight legs and no hands. You know, there's different body parts for different and I'm not going to spiritualize any language and talk about what body part does what. But you get the idea. Everybody that's been put into the church that is an actual real believer of the true gospel, they are there for a reason. They have a function. And uh, we we should not have a church that dampens or quenches the spiritual gifts of the believers. There are things that God works out. There are gifts that he works in his people. And, and you know, I'm not talking about tongues and Handling snakes and stuff. I'm not talking charismatic stuff. I'm talking about what the Scripture talks about the New Testament church and the function of the church. Our goal is to see those things be built up. It's not to suppress those things. And I've seen suppression over the years in different churches I've been a a part of, uh, both true and false churches. So among uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, we have this union, one with another, of the common salvation. And it's vitally important to keep our attitudes in check, again, on a daily basis. It's, it's common in the United States, but I don't know how this is in other parts of the world. There's a phrase that's used sometimes. When people deal with a person that they are impressed with the way they handle themselves, they'll say, you know, that guy, he's, he's down to earth. He's a pretty down to earth guy. And, we, and I think we know what that means. That means that he's humble, he will admit his flaws, he will admit his weaknesses, he'll be transparent, it's not i I'm better than you attitude. This is the idea, from what I understand, my personal experience of hearing that phrase in its context, that that's what that means. Now, America's definition of what that means is not our standard. The scriptures are standing. The scripture said it first. A lot of people stole it. A lot of times, secular people and, and organizations will steal things from the scripture and just repeat things that are things in the scripture and act like this is what our organization promotes. It doesn't have to be religious organization. It could be some kind of a practical thing. You know? And I imagine goofy Dr. Phil, he probably says some stuff that you can read out of Proverbs. Some people say, I've never read the scripture. Maybe hear him say something that maybe he stole from the Proverbs. I think, man, that guy is smart. But we don't follow the world in our standard. But those ideas sometimes that people, in reference to common sense, see and, and react to in a positive way are already scriptural principles that are laid out for us to do as believers. So as believers, we should be down-to-earth people. Other words, we shouldn't be, the phrase down to earth doesn't mean of the world. It, it opposes floating above the ground with a halo thinking you're self-righteous. That's the idea, right? And we don't want to appear hypocritical and religious and self-righteous in that way. I know we may have been that in the past. I know we see people like that now, and we don't like it. I don't want to be around people like that. I don't want people in here like that. If people are in here like that, they're gonna be made uncomfortable pretty quick, I think. Not by me only, but by everybody else. So the Word of God has it has many different ways of saying that concerning being down to earth, all those things we mentioned, humility and admitting our flaws. We're not we're not super and women. Go ahead and turn to first Peter chapter two. First Peter chapter two and Starting in verse 9, I'll read a few verses here. First Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen generation. I'm going to use this in the election series a little bit later. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for possession, so that you might speak of the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. There it is. Common Salvation. Used to be in that category, now you're brought into the category where now we are all common. Out of darkness, into light. Some good stuff right there. About all all those names that God's people are called. Pretty good stuff. Positive. You who were then not a people, but now the people of God. Those not pitied, but now pitied. Dearly beloved, I exhort you as temporary residents and pilgrims, speaking about in this world, to abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Now, we know there can be a fine array of fleshly lusts. It could be self-righteous, religious, prideful, selfish lusts as far as religious sins. Or there could be, you know, those that are of the immoral Flesh, whether it be fornication, abuse of the body, and different things like that, lusting after power, money, you know, all those things. So, in other words, there's a multiplicity of things under this category. It's not just outward immorality, it also includes the lust of self righteousness, which is really the, the worst lust and the most natural lust that's out there, which is in people says that war against the soul. Verse 12, having, here we go. Trying to apply some practical things to uh, having what we know now in this common salvation. Having your conduct honest among the nations or the Gentiles. In that which they speak against you as evildoers, they may glorify God in the day of his visitation, seeing your good works. So we're to conduct ourselves honestly, no matter in this context who would, this would be talking to whether it's talking to jew or gentiles we are here now and so if this was talking to jews we didn't we wouldn't say well that's talking to jews we're done the principle is here that your conduct should be proper so that you may not be accused of doing evil I've got a couple more verses that we're going to look at later that, that say that too Verse 13, then be in obedience to every ordinance of men because of the Lord, whether to the king as supreme or to governors as sent by him for vengeance on evildoers, but for praise on well-doers. For this is the will of God, doing good, notice this, to silence the ignorance of foolish men, Right? This is what this will do, and I don't want to confuse you here. I don't want this to be your incentive to do this. I don't want your incentive not to be to the love of God, gratitude toward God, or, well, my main incentive now is just to do good so people can't blame it. That's not the right incentive. This is pretty much saying this is what will happen when you do what you were previously instructed in, of doing service to God for the correct motive of love and gratitude. This will be the end result. You will silence foolish men as free and not having uh, freedom as to cover evil, but as servants of God. Now, we do have to consider with some people, with some people, and and you apply your own experience to this. With some people, it doesn't matter what you do, how well you do it. It doesn't matter if you do something very, very well and very, very proper in the way you handle yourself, the way you speak, the way you treat someone. With God working in you, it doesn't matter. Someone will always still accuse you. Probably experienced that. Christ Himself was perfect. Did they not accuse him? Right? They accused the religious people accused him. He said they hated me, they're gonna hate you. And the point here is with that, don't just say, Well, they hated Christ, they're gonna hate me too. So it doesn't matter what I do. How I treat people. Now, the point is, you mimic Christ. He is the pattern. He is the example. And you do as you are instructed in the word of God. And the the point is, you do not give them an excuse to accuse you. I mean, sometimes we do things that say things that we think, oh, man, they've got some fingers to point now. And you've done it to yourself. I've done it back in uh, Timothy 2nd Timothy chapter 2 start looking at some of these verses here in verse 23 but avoid foolish and unlearned questions now first thing i want us to note is it did not say avoid questions it didn't say avoid questions period it said a certain kind foolish and unlearned now, the list of foolish number questions is long. Most of the time, it's merely trivial things. I said it before, you know, sometimes you go to the grocery store, you get to the belt, you start to put your food up there, and, and right there by the belt, what is it? M&M's, Snickers, everything I, I like is right there. And then over here is uh, chapstick, lighters, be jerky sometimes there's a little uh, i remember these little small little booklets bible trivia right i'd get it and look at it and they would say some people's names i don't remember reading in the scripture but it's little trick questions about who is this guy's name that i don't remember who is their cousin you know it's like wheel of fortune or, or uh, jeopardy you know, i don't like those games Trivia. The questions in that booklet had nothing to do with the gospel. Hey, we can make a, a, a little gospel booklet. and uh, Nobody will buy it. <laughs> Probably wouldn't be allowed to put it in there for free. You get the idea. Trivia. We've jokingly talked about how that when we talk to people about the gospel, and we're caring for these people's souls. We know the questions they need to ask. They don't even know what to ask. And what do they come back with? What about Dinosaurs. What about aliens? What about babies? (laughs) Right? I'm I'm missing a couple. But that's it. I mean, it seems to gravitate toward those issues. And uh, I mean, there's a lot more on that list. You keep going and you hear the questions and they're foolish and unlearned. And it's like, are you kidding me? You can't react. Say, you dummy. You can't do that. Get back to the point bring the questions that are pertinent to the the Lord Jesus Christ, the personal work of Christ, what he accomplished. And uh, if they don't react positively to those, then, you know, God has to waken them up. When when you're asked about, well, the heathen on the desert island, that's another thing, too. I I mean, we have some answers for these things. But the point is the focus and priority. That's the point. So when those come up, the important things. Why I'm even bringing it up is how you deal with that. How do you react to that? And you know, you you know, like anything else, it depends on the person, how well they know you, how they understand how you talk with them, anyway, on how you respond. But the key is humility, patience, love, compassion, all these things. Patience. But these foolish and unlearned questions, these trivial things, some secondary issues sometimes cause a lot of trouble. These things, they don't edify. They don't edify. And if they were brought up in a, even if they're secondary, if they're brought up in a gospel context, maybe you have to bring them there. That's what you have to do sometimes. You have to bring them in a gospel context for these people. Somebody wants to talk to you about marriage, Christ and His church. That's the gospel. You, that's your foundation, and you run out that way with it to them. And anything else, you know, you, you run it through the gospel. And if and if you don't think you can, you just say, "Let's let's get back to the subject." We're talking about the gospel. There have been times where I have lost patience and said, "Dude, I don't care." You know, I'm not perfect. Sometimes I say that I don't care. I don't want to talk about it. It doesn't make sense. I don't care. And stop! I don't care. And maybe explain, and maybe take the patience to explain why we're wasting our time here. And, and I don't think I have this in my notes, but there is a time, and we know this, and we have to measure this ourselves, that when you need to just stop, and you're done with that person, and that's, that's the cast the pearls before swine thing, I mean, you just have to determine where, that, where that's at. It says, uh, the second part of that verse, 23, says, knowing that they gender strife or give birth to strifes. Strife or strifes here is, it has to do with battle, controversy, or fighting. It's That's, that's not, that takes a lot of energy. And um, we have to know, we always use that phrase, we got to know where to pick our battles, when, where to pick our battles, if it's worth it. What's it about? The phrase like, I'm not going to die on that hill. You know, if somebody asks me about a secondary issue, I'm not going to put all my eggs dogmatically in one basket and die on that hill. It's a secondary issue. And everybody has a different opinion on what those are, no doubt about it. But when it comes to the gospel, we got to die on that hill. That's what we're trained to do all the time. We can't not say anything about the gospel. That's priority. The Lord Jesus Christ, he is priority. We must tell the truth about him, defend him over our own character. The truth is more important than we are. So it brings in this idea of wisdom. We, we talked about the questions are foolish, right? It causes strife. So the opposite of foolishness is wisdom. So wisdom has to come into the conversation. God brings wisdom to us sometimes through our own mistakes, sometimes through chastisement, sometimes through trials, tribulation, adversity, persecution, sickness, loss of whatever, money or loss of a family member, loss of a job. God runs all that. The God of providence that runs all that for his own purpose. And he works all things together for our good. Right? To us who have this common salvation. The scripture says, but if any man lacks wisdom, says it in James 1.5. Let him ask of God who will give it liberally with no reproach. And it shall be given to him. You feel like you need wisdom? Ask God for wisdom. He'll give it liberally. But you know what? It might be kind of like God gives patience. You might have to go through some stuff to get it. Don't have that. You want it. You can be the most unscathed dummy at the end of the world and have a common salvation. Or you can be one who God has taken through the fire and refined and had wisdom at the end. And... Live a life that is knowing clearly what the Bible's talking about in reference of who you are and how you to deal with people. If you just want to stay long unscathed and not get involved, God's still gonna He's still gonna work. If you're saved, He's still gonna work in you to bring you in to be involved in this life of faith. So in other words, you know, if, if you are into this, if you're into this common salvation and you think it is the spiritual lottery, like you have won everything in Christ, this is the treasure, then you shouldn't be afraid of uh, going through trials and tribulations and stuff. We're, we're going to go through them to a certain extent. Go all in. I'm going to read you a few quotes here. Um, well, here's, here's one more. We'll go back to our text. Proverbs 26:12 says, Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. So that's a proverb. And we know what God says about fools. But if there's one that says that he's wise in his own eyes, he's worse than a fool. That's a bad place to be. That's a bad place for somebody to see you as. And then maybe the teaching of, hey, maybe you've been acting this way and you see yourself as. You need some adjustments. And that's what's supposed to happen. Verse 24, 2 Timothy 2. But the servant of the Lord must not strive. Must not must not fight or battle. And again, we'll make a distinction. We're not talking about the gospel. We're talking about in dealing with people, the way we deal with people. And um, they're going to hate us for the gospel, so we can't change that. We we strive for that faith, but we do it the right attitude. But even in the gospel and dealing with things with people, the way we treat them, whether it be gospel or secondary issues, we must not strive, but be gentle to all. The King James says, "apt to teach." It means able to teach and patient. So there's there's a lot of things mentioned there: not striving, not in other words, not fighting. Being gentle and being able to teach and to be patient. All those things that collectively go together. So as we deal with people on many different levels, it doesn't matter if it's a coworker, you're talking to them about the gospel, it doesn't matter if it's your, uh, your in your family, you're some in your family and are not believers, or even if they are, same treatment the way you're supposed to deal with people. Don't strive, be gentle have to teach. Be patient. I want to throw a question out. Isn't this the way you would like people to treat you? Obviously, right? It's the old golden rule principle. I want to read you something, uh, a couple more quotes here. You're going to have to turn there. Just Romans 12, 3. For I say, through the grace of God given to me, that everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, that's right-mindedly, or clearly, uh, even as God has dealt to every man a measure of faith. The main thing was wanted to see was right in the middle there, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. It doesn't take much explanation if you know the gospel. Because God says about us, who is the truth? God himself says that we, in and of ourselves, apart from Christ, are less than nothing. We're not just nothing. We're less than nothing. At our best, man at his best, is altogether man empty. They have altogether become unprofitable. You know, that's Romans 3. 10-12 um, somewhere, in there. that's a quote from the Old Testament And if you take the best of all men collectively They're unprofitable So let's apply that personally We're nothing outside of Christ So knowing that we're nothing Doesn't that bring us down low When we deal with people? supposed to treat others better than we treat ourselves. We're supposed to. That's kind of hard to put in practice. Even if we have the right memory of how we're supposed to do it, we're, we still have a sin nature. That's part of loving one another, right? Proverbs sixteen, eighteen, and 19 says this, Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. It is better to be of a humble spirit With the lowly Than to defy the spoil With the proud Simple proverbs It's You might call it Biblical common sense Here's something out of uh, Galatians 6 A couple verses Brethren, if a man be overtaken In a fault Talking about the church You who are spiritual Restore such a one In the spirit of meekness Considering yourself, lest you also be tempted, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. It's pretty clear stuff. It, It matches what we've already read. When a man, we read throughout the different books of the New Testament, we see... People had sinned and how that the the writers showed how the church took care of that, how they dealt with it. And the idea here is in the spirit of meekness and the steps in which they deal with it, knowing these people that are dealing with it. You know, for example, my personal experience with raising kids and grandkids nowadays when or if you're a boss at work. Or if you're a pastor of a church. When you are disciplining a child, you told the kid over and over again, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And you tell him for his good, maybe he's going to get hurt. And so you give him a spanking, or you put him in the corner, you take something from him. And a lot of times in the middle of that, I'm thinking, this is me <laughs> to my father. So you gotta go through that, get that all straight in your head. And if you're a if you're a, a lead person at work, or you're a boss, or some kind of authority figure at boss, when people you're in charge of people, and you have to deal with people, I would much rather people be doing a great job, so that I wasn't forced by my boss to deal with that person and say, "Hey, this you gotta fix this thing. This is not what you're doing, and you can't be doing this." I hate that conflict. I can't stand it. The worst conflict is in the church. The most important conflict to deal with is in the church. And I'm one of those guys that don't like, in the middle of spanking a kid or a grandkid, I have that weird feeling in my in my mind that comes to me. In dealing with somebody at work, I've, I've got away with a lot of stuff at work. You know what I'm saying? have to deal with you know, what am I gonna yell at one of my kids for speeding? You gotta I mean I lost my license a couple of times for speeding. Drag racing. So how do you feel in having to deal with that when you have done that stuff? So in other words, having experienced being a sinner, it should make you low when you deal with people. It should you should know this by now. That this is the way you deal with people. Somebody in here is in charge of somebody. Somebody in here is accountable to or others accountable to them in some facet of life you have had to have had to deal with this especially with your parents so doing it the right way is no easy task is what i'm saying you have to kid you've got a multitask in your brain about all this stuff all together of doing it the right way doesn't mean you're going to do it the right way the first time you may have not yet gotten it right and if we're kind of perfectionists That's kind of the way we view ourselves. I look back. I thought I should have. I could have said this different. I could have done this better. Whether it be at work or at church or home. Either way. Brethren, if a man be taken in a fault. You who are spiritual. Restore him. Didn't say. Stomp him in the throat when he's down didn't say tell everybody in the world hey we got this so and so over here look at what he did you just turned into a Pharisee God to thank you I'm not like other men restore such a one you that are spiritual if you're not spiritual don't mess with that guy you probably ought not be here you know? that's the idea if you're a troublemaker not a problem solver so you hear about There's there's certain people that I have known that have embarrassed themselves publicly by what they did. And there is a there's a repentance there and they're to be restored. But then maybe some people that maybe didn't like them. Whenever in the future they talk about that person, their sins, first thing they bring up their sin. Hey, did you know about this guy? He's no good. Look, he did this. Uh five years ago, ten years ago, or some people still accuse people of the stuff they did when they were little kids. First thing they bring up is their sin. Right? This scripture opposes that mindset. You who are spiritual, you who are mature, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. Here's the point. Considering yourself lest you also shall be tempted. Have you ever heard of this happening or maybe experienced it yourself? Somebody does something, I'll, I would never do that. I would never say that or never do that. Hey, okay. what, what did the other scripture Proverbs say? Pride, destruction comes before this, these things. There's going to be take heed where you stand lest you fall, in other words. Open your mouth about your pride, your maturity, and how great you are. We sing that song, How Great Thou Are. Sometimes we think that's what people are saying, how great I am. Super spiritual Christian. I'm the go-to guy, right? I would never do that. I would never say that. I mean, the, the response from God to that. In reference to what he wants to run you through can be a pretty big deal. If he wants to refine you and change your mind about that, you never know what he will use to do that. And if you are his child and he loves you, he will chasten you for the bad attitude of looking down on another and not restoring one. We know the one in Philippians, you can turn up if you want. Philippians 2, verse 1, first like I don't know, eight verses or so. If there be any encouragement in Christ, any comfort of love, any fellowship of the spirit, any tenderness and mercies, then fulfill my joy, Paul writing to the church of Philippi. That you may be like-minded, having the same love, and being of one accord in one mind. I think we read this last week for a different reason, a different message. Unity, right? The bond of peace. You read all kind of texts, and they all go together. Look at this, verse 3. Let nothing be done through strife. That's the same word we're using in our our text in Timothy. Uh, Battling. Fighting. Right? Don't let anything happen through that or vain glory a lot of times those things are connected too if you're going to one up somebody with vain glory you're going to go through strife to do it, you're going to fight to step on a dude's throat when he's down as you're on top and they're down there and you get that proud uh, how you like me now, look where you're at things can change really quick but in lowness of mind like you know humility Let each esteem others better than themselves. That's a lifelong lesson right there that is uh, easier for some than others. And I'm preaching to myself. Do not let each man look upon his own things, but each man on the things of others. Be concerned about other people, in other words, what's going on in their life. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, And being in the form of God, he, he was God. He thought it robbery not to be equal with God. So we know about the uh, incarnation. You know, Christ, the eternal Son of God, condescended down and took on flesh. And he humbled himself to do the work of mediation. He did not, a lot of times, take the actions of, that you would think God would normally take. Uh, like I said, he didn't really, like, somebody offended him. He didn't strike him down with lightning bolts like we would do, right? Like we would take vengeance on him because that's what we're all about, you know, number one. He he humbled himself. He temporarily sort of emptied himself of the right to do those things that you would think he would normally do. I mean, he, <laughs> look at the way he conducted himself and the things that were said to him and Think of what you would do in that situation. It's like a lot of times naturally totally different. And that, that point there, I've said this before, is something that is, is part of uh, the work of Christ that is so impressive to me. Paying the penalty on the cross is, is the most impressive thing, of course. But the way that he lived his life, because, of course, he was perfect, sinless humanity, and he was deity in the flesh he uh, was a god incarnate and the way that he conducted himself right there reference to his rights of what he could have done and he played low key the vast majority of the times it's impressive to me and that is a that is a standard that I wish I could be that way <clears throat> And we don't. Uh, <clears throat> I was talking to somebody else yesterday. I think it was Patrick. We were talking about something on the phone, and I said, uh, "You know, I don't have a spiritual tape measure, and I back up against the wall and check my growth all the time, right?" And a lot of times, as believers, we don't like internally look at ourselves and say, "Oh, wow, well, how great I've grown." You know, sometimes other people will tell us. I noticed that you handled yourself well in this situation. Uh, I remember a time where you wouldn't have done that. You see a measure from the outside of growth, them telling you uh, some things like that, you know. Or if you're generous to somebody, if you do something that the Scripture tells you to do, you might hear it from other people. And if you're doing it because you love God and you love others, you're not. Your incentive is not measuring that anyway. You know, you're not. You're not looking for growth. God says you'll grow. You you expect growth. But it's not a thing you monitor all the time. I'm not looking to score points in that area. So anyway, back to the humility of Christ. Uh, being in form of God thought it not robber to be equal with he was equal with God. Same attributes, essence, and everything, Hebrews one, first couple of verses. But as I said, he, he did this for his earthly ministry to accomplish redemption. He humbled himself. But he made himself of no reputation. See, I think that says it all right there. We know that the God-man Christ Jesus, the Lord, both God and man, two natures, that he had, he was perfect. He had all these rights. He's the creator. He's the Lord of all. He has the right. He's, he, I kill and I make a life. I created. I run the whole providence. I mean, he's supreme, so he can do whatever he wants as sovereign. But as he came down and humbled himself, he made himself of no reputation as he did this work. Even for somebody else. See, that's the point, too. He was living as a representative. He kept the law as a representative. He didn't need to keep the law for himself. He's perfect. He couldn't not keep the law. He's sinless. Christ could not have sinned. So everything he did, he did for his people, toward his father. Everything was he emptied himself of himself, and he served. He served the Father, and he did this for his people, made himself a no reputation, took on himself the form of a servant. And that's important in salvation. In salvation, you have to be humbled enough to say, "Stop your earning. look to Christ. He's the servant. For earning salvation—that's a part that sometimes is not talked about very often. But that's that's salvation. And he was made in the likeness of men. And again, he wasn't—he didn't choose to be. He didn't choose to look like uh, uh, Andy. He didn't choose to look like Andy. He chose to look like a common person. Andy the movie star. But you get the idea. Brad Pitt, George Clooney, Colin Farrell. Christ didn't look like that. He looked common. Made himself a new reputation. That's the idea, right? Being found in the fashion of man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. That's loaded with, with stuff we could look at. Here's a couple of verses. me quote these. Likewise, younger ones be subject to older ones; respect your elders. In other words, and being subject to one another, put on humility, for God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And therefore, be humbled under the mighty hand of God, so that you may be exalted in due time. Just matches with everything else. Turn to the final. Go to third. Third John We gotta kind of pick this up. Third John chapter one and verse nine. I wrote to the church, but the Octophies, who loves to have the preeminence among you did not receive us. His name was named he in the Word of God, and people read it have read it for almost two thousand years. Would hate to have his reputation. We have met people like unto Geophys. We have maybe even been him in the past before granted repentance. One who loves the preeminence. We know Christ has preeminence, right? But this is somebody that got in the way of himself and made himself of reputation. Unlike Christ, who made himself of no reputation. You see that? Christ has preeminence. He made himself of no reputation. Here, this dude didn't have preeminence, but he made himself a reputation for thinking he had a preeminence or deserved preeminence. Isn't this common sense extreme opposites we need to see and learn from? Therefore, verse 10, if I come, I will remember his deeds, which he does, ranting against us with evil words and not content with these, neither does he himself receive the brothers. And he forbids those who would receive the brothers. And he casts them out of the church. Anybody that would receive the brothers, he's just not receiving brothers. And when they do, if you're receiving the brothers, and he doesn't like it, you're out. He wouldn't receive us. and a po- He wouldn't receive an apostle. Because Maybe he thought he should have been an apostle. Maybe he was one of those that thought he would be so close to the throne. It was so bright. (laughs) I talked about that last week. You know what I'm saying. Verse 11. Beloved, do not imitate the bad. (laughs) Who's left? But the good. Imitate the good. Don't imitate the bad. Knock on a hollow head. Hello. (laughs) Common sense. Don't imitate Sometimes when uh, Colton, he's a little over one, and my grandson, Caden, when he's being bad, my youngest one doesn't, or youngest grandson doesn't understand But time. I say, don't be like him. <laughs> he just looks at me his big brown eyes. Do you understand? Don't be like him. And then the other one, I, I don't know what he's thinking when I'm saying that. I don't think he's getting it either. But that's going to come to fruition. you know. He's going to follow what he's doing and he's going to get in trouble. We, we shouldn't do the same thing, in other words. And we know better. We're not little kids. He who does good is from God and he who does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has a good report by all. Now, think about this. Two dudes that their name starts with D. Diopathes, bad guy, preeminence. Demetrius, you're thinking here that probably this Demetrius is famous for humility, patience, love, care. Two people established a reputation in a letter by an apostle that we're reading. God's church is reading from us 2,000 years. And here this guy gets a mention. He has a good report by all and by the truth itself. And we also bear witness. And you know that our witness is true. Demetrius, certified, yeah. If Demetrius asked me for a reference, a job reference, yeah, no problem. Diotrophes asked me for a job reference, I got nothing to say good about him. That's kind of what John was saying here, right? But in a church setting. Our text, let's go ahead, let's finish up back at, back in 2 Timothy, won't take long. In uh, 2 Timothy 2.25, notice this. In meekness instructing those who oppose themselves, if perhaps God, her adventure will grant them repentance to the knowledge of the truth. We have been given repentance. Somebody told us the gospel. They instructed us, hopefully with meekness and with patience. So we should turn around and do the same thing with others. And isn't the goal so that not so that we can show off how we present the gospel or how much smarter we are than them, that is that is the opposite idea that's being said here. God just might, out of his mercy, grant repentance to the one that you're giving the gospel to. And more than likely if you're talking to somebody you know, they're going to be here in a while right if you give somebody the gospel that you care about and god gives them repentance more likely they're probably going to be here in this room with us in union in the common salvation that we have and that would be exciting or are we going to be like uh, sort of like the bad attitude jonah who was a saint he had in reference to nineveh he didn't really care God granted them repentance, and he was, he wasn't happy about it. This is a mistake that he made that we should learn from, right? It can be done. What he did, it was done, and it's there to say, don't do this. Just like I said to my little grandkid, don't don't do what he's doing. Scripture does that with a bunch of people. We learn from their mistakes. Meekness, it says, instructing in meekness, that's gentleness, humility. They may recover themselves out of the snare or trap of the devil, who the devil has taken this person captive by the devil's will. Satan's will is stronger than fallen man's will, unregenerate man. Satan's will is stronger. The unregenerate man can be easily trapped by Satan. He's trapped by his own lusts that come out from him, self-righteousness. He's in his own quagmire, sinking sand, quicksand. So you get the message. Humbly contending for the faith, knowing the gospel has to be dealt with, knowing that we used to be some that used to not believe the gospel. God made us to differ. Learning how to interact with people in humility to present that gospel to them, to help them all along the way. And then as believers come into our lives, and we deal with more and more believers, especially in church, dealing with believers. And if everyone in the church does this, the church will not have the reputation of, I don't want to go, those guys are a bunch of, all they want to do is strive, strife, fight. And they call people names. And again, there's a certain balance. When, when there's a false prophet, I'll call a false prophet out as a false prophet. It has to be done for the health of the church. We speak the truth in boldness, but yet at the same time, you can be bold and gentle at the same time. In other words, you're not compromising with the information, but you deal with people in a, in a generous way. Loving, patient way, and you know, just in closing, let me just say that kindness is king. People, they can't beat it. When you're dealing with people in kindness, they cannot. I don't know how many people, and it's been later in my life, not early in my life, but they say, you know, there's some things that Scott says. I sure don't agree with them, but man, I like, I like the way he. Talk to me about them. And it's like I say in uh, in preaching. I don't expect you, anybody that comes in here, visitors, I don't expect them to agree with me. I want them to understand what I'm saying. That's my main goal. If they don't agree with me, I'm hoping that i dealt with them in the right way. I've got a hearing from them. That's the thing. If you if you don't deal with them in the right way, you won't get a hearing. You want people to hear you. you got to treat them the right way. And if they don't hear you, that's not on me anyway. You know, I, I hope they do hear me. I hope they're going to be here as part of the group. I, but I can't control that. God gives the increase, right? But our responsibility is to check our heart, examine ourselves, and how we're dealing with one another in the church and those unbelievers outside the church. Going forward, and I'm going to keep bringing it up every now and then. If somebody sees me out of line. Come tell me. I might get out of line. I've done it before. All right, any comments or questions? Chosen in Christ Part 14 next week. For knowledge, something like that. Something with love, something connected to love. Anything else? Nothing?